especially in a new space like Web3 and NFT, your greatest product may not have been created yet, right? Your, your most important insight most likely has not come yet. And therefore, you have to be open to that next level of insight. A lot of that will actually come from your power users. You know, as a creator of a product, you may actually use your product less than your users. Most likely that's the case. And so finding ways to get to the, the real answer, I think is extremely important. Welcome to the Human Insight Podcast, where we share with you the business stories, ideas, and trends shaping the future of customer experience, told firsthand by the experts themselves in thought-provoking conversations. Hi, everyone. I'm Janelle Estes, Chief Insights Officer at User Testing. And today we're very excited to have Ethan Song, co-founder and CEO of Rare Circles, on the show. Ethan was previously the co-founder and CEO of Frank and Oak, a leading direct-to-consumer brand, and he's an active investor in Web3. As the Rare Circle CEO, Ethan empowers a new generation of entrepreneurs and brands to build deeper relationships with their communities through NFTs and blockchain technology. The intuitive platform allows anyone to make, sell, and manage powerful NFT memberships under one operating system. Thanks so much for joining us today, Ethan, and welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Ethan, if you were to get a brand's uh, or company's logo tattooed on your body, what brand would it be? And don't answer that question yet. I recently saw a LinkedIn conversation on this topic, and I thought I would ask our user testing contributors that question. So here's what they said. Hmm. If I had to get a tattoo of a brand or a company, what would I get? Well, what came to mind um, is the Lululemon logo. Um, and why would be, I really appreciate and stand with everything that that brand stands for um, in how they really promote health and wellness and comfort and um, a bit of luxury where appropriate. And I also like that logo. I think the most likely would be like a Disney tattoo. Um, I really love everything Disney. I don't have one yet, um, but I, I would definitely get a Disney tattoo. Maybe not even the brand, but like the the logo. If that wasn't it, I would probably get, I'm trying to think of something. Oh, maybe like a Chick-fil-A tattoo because it's like my favorite. Maybe that, but I'm not sure that I um, support the company all the way, so I'm not sure. But it probably would be like something like some fast food that I eat a lot tattoo or a Disney tattoo. Either one of those. A skateboard brand. I could get like a skateboard that I sk skateboard brand that I love, like Lucky, you know girl i love that logo honestly that would be sick i think it would um be good like art maybe like the fancy logo um i love makeup i love fancy i love rihanna um or i would get the disney logo because i've always loved disney yeah. I was a child. I've loved everything Disney, Disney movies, Disney cartoons, princesses, all of that. I love Pilates. So maybe I'd get like a Pilates, you know, logo from a specific Pilates brand. 
Okay, Ethan, what would your answer be? What tattoo would you get? It's a it's a great question because I don't have any tattoos, so it'd be a pretty big commitment uh, for me to get my first tattoo as a brand tattoo. But uh, I'd have to go with a brand called Norda. Uh, it's uh, it's an up and coming uh, running brand uh, from Canada that you know. I do have to say that I was part of its founding, so you know there's a bit of a plug there. But why I would associate myself with the brand, I think one, it's the outdoors, which is something I love. Uh, the second, it kind of represents the spirit of Canada, uh, which is you know just open, open air, freedom, uh, and being out there and having a good time. And obviously, we're coming out of you know a, a COVID period, so I feel like everyone wants to be outside, and so that's why I would, I would have that tattoo. Um, it's, it's interesting, though, that you asked that question because I think a lot of people do get brand tattoos. Uh, and, you know, if you're a marketer, you, obviously you've been, you're, you're successful if someone wants to get a tattoo of that brand. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I, I, I do find it fascinating. And, and maybe it's not as um, surprising for, let's say, like B2C companies, like the video that we just watched or, or kind of listened to people talking about Disney or Fendi or some of these more... B2C type experiences. I think the ones that really shock me, for lack of a better word, are the, you know, B2B like enterprise <laughs> software. Like I, I mentioned to you, we I, I recently saw somebody uh, post on Twitter a tattoo of uh, of a Figma logo. And I and that was really what kind of drove this question and and why I was curious and hearing from our contributors on that. Did anything surprise you when you were listening to their responses? Anything stand out to you? Or was it, you know, pretty uh, uh, predictable, I guess, would you say? Uh, I mean, obviously, it seems like Disney is still scoring high. Uh, and and like, that's a good example of a brand that's, you know, stayed very relevant. Uh, but no, I, I would say I'm not surprised. I'm also not surprised on the B2B side because I think, we think of a brand often as like a poster with a logo, you know, which is like the, the, the almost traditional way of thinking about it. But it's really your, your relationship with something, with a product. And it could be any product, right? And, and I don't think that a brand is any different to a certain extent to music or a product is not any different than to a movie, you know, something that you would associate more with potential tattoos. And so I think, I think culture and values are embedded into products uh, to a certain extent. And, you know, you're using Figma as an example. I think a lot of people would argue that there's a lot of love for that product uh, and, mm-hmm. and its functionalities. And, and, and so I think for someone who's deep into using it, it's not any different than being, being you know, an early fan of Radiohead. So I, I think it's, it's, there's similarities there in a relationship that you can create. Yeah, absolutely. Those are, those are great points. Um, well, thanks for indulging in that conversation and sharing your example. Um, I know you didn't come on to the Human Insight podcast to talk about tattoos, but uh, it's good to hear your perspective and love to jump into uh, the meat of the discussion here. So, uh, Ethan, can you tell us a little bit about uh, and a little bit more about yourself, um, the company that you founded, Rare Circles, and and I guess what's keeping you up at night? Yeah. And so, I mean, I, I've been in the technology and startup space for over 12 years now. I... Uh, Originally, I'm, I was from China, but I've grew, kind of grown in, uh, in Canada. Um, I come from more of an engineering background, but I've always been very, been very interested in brand building. And so uh, having started a few companies, I would say one of the ones you named was actually a D2C fashion brand uh, called Frank and & Oak. And at that time, we had really innovated in a way that we delivered the product 
which was through, uh, you know, customization and, you know, uh, delivering a unique experience for every single user. And so I've been passionate about consumer experiences, you know, uh, for basically most of my life. And uh, in terms of what where Circle is building, um, we think of it as providing the tools for this sort of new generation of entrepreneurs and creators to build Web3 experiences. Uh, we think that we're still very early uh, in the ecosystem and that, you know, we don't want only technical people to be able to engage uh, with the blockchain and, and these new technologies. We think that Web3 is really about creativity and community and therefore should be uh, democratic and open to anyone that want to participate and not have technical limitation be uh, something that stops you from doing it. And so that's the general mission uh, and purpose of the company. Yeah, I love that. I think it's a topic that feels slightly inaccessible for maybe the common person in the sense of like, what is this new world and how do I show up in it? And is it, is it relevant for me? Um, you know, I think the buzzword of 2022 is is metaverse, right? And I think there's par- some parallel around that in terms of like this new idea, this new way of engaging with community, of having different experiences. But how does that actually apply to, to me and who I am and, and how, you know, how can this be valuable to me and, and part of my life? So you were the um, founder of Frank and Oak, which is direct-to-consumer um, retail brand. And then you've sort of pivoted to Rare Circles, which is, I guess, from the outsider perspective, quite different from D to C retail. It's more around Web3, community, NFT. So can you help me understand sort of that journey and the, the transition? Yeah, it, it, it does feel different. It is different. Um, there, there's no doubt about that. That said, I would say a big part of Frank and Oak's success was in the innovation that we've made, not necessarily on the clothing that you bought, but rather on the way that you consume the product. And so the, the user journey and experience. Uh, and so we've always, I've always been in the business of creating new experiences. Um, but specifically to Rare Circles, um, because I sort of, you know, in my early 20s, I was part of this sort of like D2C, like e-commerce revolution. I sort of saw how, whether it's Shopify or MailChimp or some of the other tools, uh, made it both very accessible um, in terms of knowledge and in terms of price to start your own business and to start your own brand effectively, right? And and I saw how over like a 10-year period um, that basically started to uh, displace even major brands and larger players. And so I've been basically um, having, ha- having observed that, you know, from a brand perspective, uh, once I, I departed Frank and Oak, uh, I was looking to effectively start building tools. Um, and actually, the way that I got to Web3 was through two ways. One, I was looking at commerce enablement tools. So like, hey, what's the next evolution in commerce? Uh, and second, uh, you know, as you mentioned, I've been a pretty active angel investor for a long time. So I've been already been investing in crypto and Web3 projects even before uh, leaving Frank and Oak. So I, those two kind of connected where I was like, hey, what is commerce in the end? Physical products are one way of doing commerce, but digital goods can also be commerce. And so uh, that's how the dots basically connected. Uh, and that's how I got into this space. But I would say overall, uh, I'm a big supporter of entrepreneurship and like, you know, providing the ability for individuals to create new businesses. And obviously, Web3 is, you know, a great place for that. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And it's really interesting to think about how those two worlds fit so interestingly together and how what you're doing is very future forward. 
it's it's fascinating to I, I didn't even recognize the parallel there. So it's really, really interesting to sort of hear that perspective. Um, we recently presented at the Wall Street Journal's Future of Everything conference. And as you can imagine, um, Web3, NFT, crypto was part of the conversation. Um, but, you know, as a, a company that um, helps our customers better understand their end users and, you know, what people actually need or expect from them, um, we actually set up a booth at the 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 conference, and we were able to uh, capture some information around how consumers and, and and people, humans, think about NFTs. What's important to them? Um, you know how they might might may or may not be valuable to them. So I want to play a video clip of for you. It's just a handful of people talking about their view of NFTs, and I'd love to get your perspective after we watch it together. Sounds good. You have to not try and rush mint. For me, if you're not doxxed, if the owners are not known, I have nothing to do with you. I do know BAYC is not doxxed, neither is Azuki, but those are rare, rare, rare circumstances. Majority of projects that aren't doxxed usually are a bit shady. Um, in case you're not aware, doxxed means that the um, founders are not known. But for me to invest, I like to have a good roadmap. The art has to be brilliant. I don't want to see some quick Photoshop kind of job. Because at the end of the day, if I'm holding it, I want it to be my PFP. I want it to be my display picture or something, maybe. So, yeah, and then obviously the opposites of that will then be what's unappealing to me. A project is all about the community and the people around it. So if you know a lot about the developers, the coders around the nft project and actually put it's something as little as showing their face looking at their linkedin looking what they've done for what other projects they've done for too as well and now that they're starting their own that can go a long way because it builds trust with um, the community first of all I, I i need to be sure that the projects have a that kind of um original design also that the roadmap is also is something that um has utility for the people obviously i would i'm gonna put um out on a, a board ape obviously because it's those are going for the craziest amount of money right now the one thing i really don't like is um i feel like the biggest um say community place you want to know if anti is going to do well check the discord because if people if their project's not even out yet and people are hyped about it the discourse always keep on going, keeps on going, keeps on going. You know that this project is going to hit because people are like, I'm ready. I've got my NFT. I'm ready. I've got my NFT. I'm ready. I've got my NFT. I have to say, as someone who doesn't know this world that well, some of the, the references in there, I think, are a little over my head. So can you break down generally what what we just heard? Yeah, I mean, I, I think before I go there, I think it's important to understand that, you know, NFTs or non-fungible tokens are, are a technology. Um, you know, the they're not a thing that you buy, actually. Um, ju just like you're like, I mean, they are a thing that you buy, but like, it's like when you buy software, you don't just buy software, you buy like, I don't know, Excel or Figma, you know, you buy a product, right? So 
Uh, and I think that's something that people get confused about. Um, you know, they see NFT as a thing, whereas like it's a technology. And obviously, uh, you know, there are, there are also a lot of haters out there, uh, you know, that are against NFTs. And I always find it's interesting because being against NFTs is like being against paper. You can't really be against it. It depends what's written on it. And so, um, so to that point, I would say I think there are two very large use cases for NFT. NFT is really about digital ownership, meaning that, you know, your ownership of that, whatever that is, is authenticated on the blockchain. You know, that I think those are the simplest words to describe it. I, I think the two uh, most common use cases are at the moment uh, digital goods, you know, and you're talking about the metaverse, which is like, I own this specific digital good and no one else owns this digital good. And the second piece I would say that is uh, important would be uh, the idea basically of community ownership, meaning like I own a piece of this community. And so the comments that you've had, you guys had, were actually very, very specific. Uh, and that's why you're saying for someone that comes from the outside, this language is like, seems crazy to me. And most of them were related to uh, what would be called a PFP project, but just an NFT project in general, uh, which is really the idea of buying into uh, the ownership of a community. And so um, I think communities from my perspective at the moment are probably the strongest use case, which is if you think about, you know, social media in general, um, a lot of people feel that, you know, whether it's Facebook or Instagram, you don't own your data, right? Like they own your followers. Uh, they change your algorithms. They don't really respect you and you've put in work to build this community. You're, you're earning a living from this community. And so the idea of decentralizing communities through the usage of NFTs is a very powerful, uh, I think use case. And that, that, you know, those um, those people that commented, I think, related to that. Now, most people are going to be buyers and not creators. And so most of, you know, the comments you've heard are more from a buyer's perspective versus a creator's perspective. Yeah, I think in particular, the question that was framed there was, you know, what makes a good NFT or one that you would want to purchase? And so um, based on your sort of description there, thanks for thanks for uh, sharing that perspective. It's, it's helpful. Um, and, and, you know, Based on that and then recalling just what we heard, I think that that makes sense in terms of what people are looking for. And, and you're right. They did mention sort of like ownership of something unique and different, um, but then also ownership within a community as being two important threads there that I think you pulled on. Yeah. And I think it's it's also like, you know, one, a question uh, when you want do want to buy an NFT, which is why am I buying this NFT, right? Is, is it because I expect it to appreciate in value, which I would say... In, in 2021 was one of the you know majority of why people got involved in the space. Is it because I want to support this artist, right, or this entrepreneur? Um, you know, is it because I want to have actually a word to say in this project, like governance? So I think when people refer to the roadmap, they're really referring to like what is the intent of the project and how do I get involved as a member of this community? Uh, I think it's really interesting. And I think it's also very interesting to talk about at this point in time. Obviously, you know, we are a little bit in a crypto winter, you know, but also the, the, the broader kind of stock market is also down. And so I think, you know, people are not, you know, the NFTs prices are not increasing at the same rate as they were last year. And, and I think it, it, it makes people, you know, think about it. What is the value in the NFT in a different way uh, when prices aren't increasing? I actually think it's a very healthy discussion to be had. Yeah, absolutely. So you shared a couple kind of key. Uh, themes on NFTs. Anything else that we and the public should know about NFTs? I mean, I, I think the well, I, I mean, there's many things from a pure technology perspective that I think would be great for people to get educated on. As an example, you know, 
what's Ethereum and what are different like layer ones and layer twos that, that, that are powering NFTs. But ultimately, um, what I'd expect to see in the next year is that there are certain things that are going to be powered via NFTs and you're not even going to realize that you just bought an NFT. So it's very possible that your first NFT may be buying a ticket uh, for a concert that also offers you VIP benefits. Or maybe it's, you know, taking a picture on Instagram that, you know, Instagram turns into an NFTs. And so I think we're going to see all these new use cases where the, the, the specific kind of thought process of, okay, finally, I'm going to buy my first NFT may actually come much smoother and faster than you would expect. Uh, and, I, and I do think that's going to happen in the next like 12 to 24 months. Yeah, that's fascinating. I think about that with some of the newer, other newer technologies too. Like everybody keeps talking, as I mentioned before, about the metaverse. It's like, you know, it's not just like, it's not this thing that you just uh, discreetly enter one day, right? Yeah. It's like, you're probably actually dabbling in it a little bit already. Like my kids play Roblox. Isn't that the metaverse? Like, and by default, am I, have I also been exposed to the metaverse? The answer is yes. And I feel like, NFT is sort of a similar space where it's like, you know, it, again, not you're not discreetly entering this universe. It just sort of starts to be part of what we are all doing. And maybe it's not super obvious um, to the end user. Uh, with your roles in product design and the customer shopping experience, can you talk a little bit about how you personally connect and hear from your customers? I mean, I think you likely had you know, consumers in the D2C space that you were connecting with and likely doing the same with Rare Circles. Um, so how do you go about doing that? And and um, how do you think about that in terms of priorities when you're running a company and balancing lots of different things? How does the customer perspective and customer feedback fit into a world where there's a lot of things competing for your time and attention. Yeah, I, I do think like D2C and uh, B2B are, is quite different um, because I would say like in both instances, I think qualitative and quantitative feedback on, on like, you know, from customers are, are both extremely important. I, I find in the D2C space, quantitative is more important because, you know, it's it, there are small numbers, but you have a lot of people interacting with your product. Um, so I find that that's even more important. Uh, whereas for B2B, I feel like qualitative feedback from users is very important. Um, and you, you, you learn a lot, obviously, about your product, but I would say beyond just learning about, hey, uh, you know, am I getting good conversion and things like that, that are, that are basics. I think two things that are really interesting is thinking about segmentation. And so thinking about like, like who is the product for and who, what are the different instances of the product for? Um, and I always say that you never truly find product to market fit, meaning that it's a continuous battle. And it's a continuous battle because the product market fit happens at a different level for different segmentation of your user base. Um, so that that's one piece that I always recommend is really think about segmentation and understanding that you may have a few different customers and how do you service them properly uh, and get feedback properly that's actionable. Uh, but the second piece is also insight. I, I do think that, especially in a new space like Web3 and NFT, your your greatest product may not have been created yet. Right, your your most important insight may most likely has not come yet, and therefore you have to be open to that next level of insight. Um, and and a lot of that will actually come from your power users, um, because you know as a creator of a product, you may actually use your product less than your users. Most likely, that's the case. And, and so understanding that uh, they may have more insight and and finding a way to get to that answer also, right? Like just asking questions doesn't always deliver the value that you think will deliver. 
And so finding ways to get to the, the real answer, I think, is extremely important. Yeah, I think that's a fascinating point and probably a stark difference, not stark, but a difference between the company you were running before and the company that you're running now in terms of uh, D2C and e-commerce. There were patterns that have been set up over many, many years that people just expect, right? And there's just ways that you interact with a company online and purchase from them and you know th- those types of activities that we all do likely every day. Um but when you have something new to your point, like NFT and Web3, like this is a whole new world that's been sort of unchartered and there's no pattern library to go look up, right? And so I love that point of, you know, your your most valuable insight likely hasn't been uncovered yet and why it's, you know, so important to just be continually curious, right, of what's useful, what's not, what people want, what needs are unmet and how you can deliver against that. Um you responded to a tweet about Starbucks adding NFTs to their loyalty program recently, and you said, I expect many major companies integrating NFTs as part of their rewards and loyalty programs. It creates a whole new level of engagement by allowing fans to actually own their rewards. Can you talk a little bit about that and your take on that? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the the like rewards and point system, you know, historically, we're always sort of close, you know, ecosystems, meaning like if you get points from Starbucks, they're in the Star, you know, they're a Starbucks app, right? And you can redeem it at Starbucks. And so it's very much a, let's call it merchant to customer, uh, one-to-one relationship um, by enabling. And I, I actually have no idea how their program is going to be designed. Um, but my thought about making those points NFTs or making them into tokens means that now they're, they're tradable. They can be exchanged. And so you can see basically Starbucks fan want to trade different Starbucks NFTs that have either benefits or are just collectibles altogether. And so now enables your fan uh, your or your customers to engage with each other and not just with you uh, as like a merchant. But beyond that, uh, even, you know, you can even push it further. Um, you could effectively trade those points or sell uh, those points um, for other uh, royalty programs or for other points and get other benefits. And so uh, I think that's what's really interesting is that then it makes it that it can be transported uh, and into other uh, ecosystems and not being kind of stuck in a sort of wall gardens. I think that's super powerful. And as an example, and you know, Starbucks may not want that, and but like as an example, you know, if I started, I don't know, a new matcha concept, I could actually say, hey, like you could redeem your Starbucks dollars here uh, up to like 25% of your purchase. Um, and, and I could actually, you know, really take the Starbucks dollars, right? So there, it's not just like, Hey, come cause you're a Starbucks fan. You could actually send me your Starbucks, uh, you know, points and then use that to pay for your goods, even though I'm not Starbucks. And so you can see how this opens up a world of possibilities. Um, but I think for the fans, it just creates a whole other level of engagement because the value of those points all of a sudden really increases. Yeah, I love that idea of uh, opening things up a little bit and having it be more than just the one-to-one relationship. Um, it feels like you could see some parallels there for for other other experiences too. And I think this is a good example of you had mentioned about how uh, NFTs will begin to be integrated into you know everyday real life experiences. Um, do you have an example or sort of like a you know? Um, 
when you think of the future of NFTs, like what is a what is the world one day? Like, do you have um, like in it? Like, I love the Starbucks example. So I'm just trying to like imagine like what else? What is the like? What is the future here? What do you see? Well, I, I think you're you're starting to see signs of it. You know, I think one of the area that I, I've seen a lot of progress uh, in the last year is really around like festivals and physical experiences. And so, you know, leveraging NFTs almost as an access pass for additional benefits, uh, VIP access, access to artists, um, you know, access to unique communities and fan clubs. And so I, I think that to a certain extent, like NFTs are a really good fit uh, for experience-based uh, businesses. And so you're seeing that integrate. I, I think you're kind of seeing two things happen. One, which is those NFT projects, you know, that we heard, you know, some of those fans talk about earlier on are all looking for a business model. So they start as NFT projects and they're all going to evolve into a, a business that, that serves and provides value to their users. On the other hand, you can also see real businesses integrate what makes NFT projects so great within a pre-existing business. And I think we're going to see innovations in both ways of interacting uh, with NFTs. Um, but you were talking about how like NFTs is so new, we have no idea what people are going to do. I think ultimately we're still dealing with humans and what people want to have, you know, like the values or, or the, the emotions that they want to feel. Let's say I want to feel more connected to my favorite artist. I want to gain access to things that other people don't gain access to. I want to show off what I bought because, you know, I'm the only one who has it. Th those behaviors are still here, right? And so I think that a lot of the NFT projects are building around the same behaviors that were always there uh, but it's finding a new way on it it's amplifying it making it more exciting and powerful potentially um, but the behaviors are there yeah I, that's a fantastic point it, you, we're all sort of driving towards delivering a particular experience and making that really uh, authentic connection and a meaningful connection with who we're serving and it actually kind of comes full circle right imagine nft related experiences powering brand loyalty, which then in turn results in people getting tattoos of brands. I know it might be a little bit of a stretch, but I mean, it could be another sort of level of brand loyalty and connection that just doesn't quite exist yet. That really does power, you know, your, your sort of group of super fans, if you will. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I know that some people are already tattooing uh, NFTs. I, I've seen some board apes and some punks out there, so I, I know it's already happening. So good. Um, all right, we're going to move over into lightning questions. So we ask these questions of every guest on the podcast. Um, so is there a book that you've read recently that you'd recommend to our listeners? Yeah, I've, I've reread uh, The Intelligent Investor by Ben Graham. I know it's a, it's a pretty big endeavor talking about it, but it's a, it's basically the only book you need to read about investing. And like, you know, I, I think it applies to technology investing. And I think it applies to venture, like uh, angel investing as well. Uh, so it's a great read. And it also speaks to like having mental models to making better decisions. Uh, I've always been one to make more kind of, I don't have to take emotions, but like, you know, like uh, instinct driven decisions. And I found that having like more kind of decision models uh, really helps you to organize your ideas. And so I, I found that that book helps as it relates to investing. Um, but it may be tough that you're looking for a book for summer reads at the beach. No, I mean, everybody loves a good, solid uh, business book. I think that's a great recommendation. I think it's super important right now, as you mentioned, sort of like the current market and volatility and, and you know, what's important to investors is ever more important uh, or is more important than ever. 
Um, uh, what about uh, a piece of advice that you would give to someone trying to convince somebody else, others, uh, to invest in customer feedback? Um, many, I think the world where we're in a place where many people believe and know this is important, but maybe not everyone has come along with that idea yet, especially maybe their bosses or leaders. So any thoughts or uh, tips for people trying to convince others to invest in listening to their customers? I mean, I think a lot of people, especially in the, in the startup world and even in the tech world, because, you know, a lot of people were big fans of like Steve Jobs and Steve Jobs said that your customers doesn't know what you want or that doesn't, they don't know what they want. Um, first of all, I tell people, well, most likely you're not Steve Jobs. So that's the first thing. But beyond that, I would say, I think Steve Jobs was very like acute to like listening um, because your customer is not going to invent the product for like, they're not doing it for, for them themselves, but they will, they will provide feedback on needs. They will provide feedback on like gaps and things like that. And so I think, I think it's extremely important. Uh, once again, going back to like how I answered this question early on, which is your biggest insight may, may come from your customer. Um, but beyond that, I would say also creating a, a certain loop uh, to get customer feedback also drives engagement, right? Like just the fact that they can provide feedback and be part of your uh, process actually helps you to build community as well. So that's like a side benefit of, you know, getting customer feedback is building a stronger uh, community around your product and it, and having you the ability to market against that. I think something people don't talk often about. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, people love to be heard and, and knowing that they're, being heard and listened to is a great driver of engagement. And yeah, I think there's different types of customer listening. There's listening for what people need, what is sort of unmet needs. It's kind of like one type of listening. And then, of course, there's feedback on the existing experience or what they might want and sort of that whole co-design sort of motion. Um, but I think your original point around, you know, Steve Jobs, yeah, he had that quote. But in fact, he was actually listening to customers. He just wasn't taking it taking their word. Yeah, literally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> their, their word literally, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. So when you think about the future of Web3 uh, and NFTs, what are you most excited about? I mean, I'm very excited that we're so early uh, in the space. You know, I, I, it's kind of like we're like in the 90s as it relates to the internet. Obviously, in the 90s, I was much too young to partake in the early stage of building, uh, you know, the internet. So I think like for me, it's just being involved that early in a space that still has everything to build. Um, but beyond that, I think from a, what the technology can do if successful, and we don't know yet, right, if it's going to be successful. So I want to make sure that's clear, uh, is really two things. One, ownership. And second, providing a new avenue for entrepreneurs and creators to build and, and build, build a life for themselves. And so I think that's extremely powerful uh, if it comes to play. Well, thanks so much for joining us on the Human Insight Podcast, Ethan. I really loved learning a little from you around and a lot from you actually around NFTs and Web3 and what you're doing uh, at Rare Circle and, and your evolution uh, throughout this whole digital world. So thanks for joining us and um, it was great to have you on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you liked it, please share it with a friend or coworker. If you think it could have been better, let us know. Email us at podcast at usertesting.com. Thanks.